And we can start our service by praising God from Psalm 63. And sing psalms. O God, you are my God alone. I seek your face with eagerness. My soul and body thirst for you in this dry, weary wilderness. We'll sing verses 1 to 8.
Shall we pray? Our gracious God, we give thanks that we can meet in your presence. What a wonderful privilege has been given to us. That here we are in a spiritual sense, uh, gathered round the throne of God. We realize that you are a very um, august, uh, divine God. And it's appropriate for us as we uh, draw near uh, to remind ourselves who you are. We thank you, do not to imagine who you are. You've described yourself in your word. And there are numerous examples of individuals who drew near to you and experienced something they would never forget. We can think of Isaiah, uh, the prophet, who was going to speak wonderful words for you. But when he was in your presence, he confessed that he was a man of unclean lips. And that even the part of him that was going to be used by you in his service of you, it was defiled. We can remember Peter, who gave his boat for Jesus to use. And when he saw the amazing catch of fish, his confession was, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The Apostle John, when he saw his Saviour, in that amazing vision, at the start of the book of Revelation, he fell at his feet as dead. And here we are, before the same august majesty, the Lord of heaven and earth. It's appropriate for us uh, to deal with the issue that always exists, between us and you as long as we are here in this world and even when we have been pardoned and forgiven all our sins it is still appropriate for us when we come into your presence to confess our sinfulness and how much more should that be the case when we are remembering the the sacrifice that was made to deal with our sins. We are here recalling and remembering the most amazing event that ever occurred in the history of time. We pray, Lord, that our minds would be focused on the one who came into the world, who became a man, who suffered on the cross who paid the penalty for sin a price that we cannot calculate the only one who could do that is yourself and we know that you did 
when we know that Jesus paid it in full and therefore we thank you Lord for that and as we look at your right hand there we see the one who is crucified and we see him as highly exalted and given the name that's above every name and it is appropriate for us here at this moment uh, to recognize that he is Lord not merely Lord of our personal lives but Lord of everything and we thank you Lord that that is the case and that he's been on the throne as far as his humanity is concerned for almost 2,000 years Lord we pray that we would get a sense of the glory of heaven a glory that includes the humanity of the Saviour and that we would marvel that he came to our aid and not only that he came to it but that he achieved his purpose we thank you too for the work of the Holy Spirit the one who is depicted as standing before the throne ready to come at any time and at any moment to bring something from heaven and we pray Lord that as we gather here and as the spirit works in our hearts we'll be given something from heaven that would fill our souls with wonder and with delight and with satisfaction as we were singing about in the psalm a short time ago Lord feed us as we are here and may we get a foretaste of the world to come we thank you Lord that's possible because as Paul reminds us the Holy Spirit is with your people as the earnest of the inheritance the sample of the inheritance and we just pray that here today we would experience that blessing remember any who are not able to be here today Lord we pray you remember them we ask your blessing on the congregation and their pastor and we pray you remember them all we pray for your church worldwide that you would bless each one of your people especially those who are suffering for the faith remember your church and existing in difficult places like Ukraine and other parts of the world where there's war and other disasters occurring we ask you to strengthen your church we also pray for those places where there's all these troubles that peace and provisions would come Lord remember the world what a mess we've made of it through our sins but we thank you Lord that you have purposes purposes that are far bigger than we can imagine 
And we pray, Lord, that you would fulfill your purposes uh, today and every other day that is to come. So be with us, Lord, in our service, we pray. Bless the children who are here. And we ask that all of them will grow up to love and serve you. So remember us, Lord, and be with us. And pardon us our sins. For Christ's sake. Amen. Speak to the children just now. Long time ago, I was given a book shortly after halfway through the last century, the 1960s. And this book, its title is not very graphic, although it does say the shorter catechism illustrated. And I got it as a Sunday school prize <coughs> a long time ago. And I was just looking at part of it the other day. And it's full of little stories. And one of the stories is about a seven year old girl. She lived in North America. And since this book was written about 1750, Obviously she, obviously she lived before then she was a Native American but I don't know which particular group she belonged to but anyway she was seven years old and I suppose most seven year olds have got opinions and here's her opinion this is what she said I have sometimes heard of Christ and now I experience him to be just such a saviour as I need isn't that amazing a seven year old girl stating that I have sometimes heard of Christ and now I experience him to be just a, such a saviour as I need I cannot tell my poor relations how lovely Christ is. Then she said, as if speaking to them, Come, oh do come to my Saviour. Shut him out no longer, for there is room enough in heaven for all of you to be happy forevermore. That was an amazing opinion to have, wasn't it? Of a seven-year-old. This says a lot to us, doesn't it? Whether we're children or adults. So just remember that story. I suspect the man didn't know her name. The author that is. Otherwise he'd have told us. It is interesting just to say to ourselves if we go to heaven we will meet the seven year old girl who said that. 
We can read from the book of Hebrews and chapter 9. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age according to this arrangement gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper but deal only with food and drink and various washings regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats 
with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you and in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for Christ has entered into has entered not into holy places made with hands which are copies of the true things but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world but as it is he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him and may God bless that reading We'll now sing from Psalm 40 in the Scottish Psalter, verses 6 to 10. No sacrifice nor offering dost thou at all desire, mine ears thou bored, sin offering thou and burnt didst not require. Stand to sing verses 6 to 10.
Uh, we can turn back to the chapter you read there from Hebrews chapter 9 and we can read again verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Mainly verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Well, as we no doubt notice when we were reading the chapter there's a contrast being made between various sacrifices of Israel and the one sacrifice of Christ of course the obvious difference between the sacrifice of Jesus and all these other sacrifices is that Jesus' sacrifice was a willing, a willing sacrifice, it was an intelligent sacrifice, and it was an effective sacrifice. The other sacrifices, well, I suspect none of the animals were willing. And none of them knew what was happening. And none of them really produced anything effective apart from in a symbolic sense preventing God's judgment coming on the worshippers but Jesus' sacrifice he was willing to do it and he wasn't doing it blindfold he knew everything about what was coming to him and his sacrifice, of course, was effective. As we know, the letter to the Hebrews was written to people who were kind of disappointed with Christianity. And the reason why they were disappointed with Christianity was because they had taken their eyes off Christ. They were facing persecution. And the persecution was coming from two sources. It was coming from their Jewish fellow countrymen who regarded them as apostates. And it was also starting to come from the Roman government who didn't like all these secret meetings that were taking place. Particularly as they were starting to spread all around the Roman Empire. And therefore there was persecution coming. And at the same time as they were facing persecution, their Jewish um, 
countrymen could say to them what do you have? they could just say we've got a great temple didn't have it for much longer mind you but they could say it at the time we've got a great temple they could also say we have thousands and thousands of sacrifices and just think of what you can do when you go up to participate I don't know if we ever thought of how many sacrifices a person had to offer when they went up to the temple they would have to offer a burnt offering to express their dedication they would have to offer a sin offering in order to confess their sins they would have to offer a peace offering in order to sit down together with the priest and the family and just have fellowship together none of these sacrifices were were cheap and then, then think of how many of them were doing it it wasn't just one person that was doing it there would be thousands you can imagine the length of the queue as people were there to offer their sacrifices and no doubt the, the Jews were saying look what we've got and of course they had their religious officials all dressed up in their distinguishing attire and the high priest especially on the day of atonement and they just said to the Christians what do you have? A saviour who ended up on a cross and has since disappeared. No one can see him. And therefore they started to listen to these suggestions. And listening to them took their minds off Christ. and therefore they were disappointed with Christianity there's not much chance of us being challenged by Old Testament rituals and for them to take our minds of Christ but there's lots of other things and of course once we start looking at them and wondering should we pay attention to these alternatives once we take our eyes of Christ we will be disappointed with Christianity because as somebody has pointed out Christianity is Christ it's nothing else I just want us to think about what Jesus did for us we all know what he did but just to remind ourselves in this book the author is trying to deal with the, with the issue of how to get his readers to start looking at Jesus again and the way he does it is just by pointing out
All the ways by which Jesus is better than all the things they thought were great. They thought their prophets were great. The writer refers to that at the start of his book. And just points out that all these prophets together never said the whole story. But that Jesus does. He also thought angels were great. And I suppose we would be very impressed if an angel was to become visible. Of course Paul does tell us that angels attend Christian gatherings. But they're not Christ. And the author points out in two chapters, the first two chapters of his book, how much Jesus is greater than angels. And the Jews thought a lot of it about angels. Because after all, an angel had taken them through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. They also thought a lot about their as I mentioned a minute ago, their temple services. Aaron, what a dynasty he started. What a pedigree the current high priest had. He could trace himself all the way back to Aaron. Where could Jesus trace himself back to? Well, the author tells us. Eternity. And he talks about Moses. Moses, the great leader, man worthy of immense respect. But he didn't take them to the promised land. Joshua, the great conqueror. Defeated all the Canaanites apart from a few. But the few that he didn't defeat were to cause problems for centuries. Then all the heroes of the faith mentioned Hebrews 11. Which one of them can save us? Or how about all of them together? Noah, who in a certain sense rescued the world, gave the world a future. But he can't save us, nor can all of them put together. Christ is better. He's better than all the ancient alternatives. And he's better than all the contemporary alternatives whatever they happen to be this wants to think about two things from this verse who was he? who was Jesus? and then secondly what did he do? regarding who he was just two things and regarding what he did three things Who was he? Oh, first, he's a divine person. 
That's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. God has spoken to us in his Son. The one whom he appointed heir of all things. The one through whom he made the worlds. And the word translated worlds there doesn't mean physical worlds. It means the ages. It's a succession of worlds. He's the controller of time. He's an extraordinary person. Well, who else can that be said? He knows everything about God. There's nothing about God that's hidden from him. And he addresses the Father and the Spirit as equals. And they address him as equals. All the divine attributes are his. And when he came to earth, he didn't give up any of them. Instead he added to his person by becoming a man. But he never ceased to be what he was. The eternal God. The greatest person in the universe. There's no one like him. But as I just mentioned, he became a man. And why did he become a man? Well, we get the answer in verse 14. He became a man to be the Christ. Who was the Christ? The Christ is not really part of his name. I mean, his name is Jesus. And not the fullest usage of connected to Jesus is Lord Jesus Christ. And the word Lord points to his dignity, highly exalted. But the word Christ describes his activity. He's the one that was promised in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve had fallen. When God announced to the apparent conqueror, that's the devil, when God announced to him that one would come who would destroy what he had done. But in the process, as he was crushing the serpent, his heel would be bruised. An indication that even at the beginning that the process of recovery was going to cause pain for the rescuer. And after that, in the Old Testament, there's prediction after prediction about the Messiah. And each one of them adding to information about him. He's going to come from the line of Abraham. But that was still quite a wide range. So he's going to come from the line of Isaac. And that had a couple of options too. So it was narrowed down to the line of Jacob. And then Jacob there was about 12 options. So this line is <coughs> taken down to the tribe of Judah. And in Judah there's thousands of options. So he's from the line of David. Just gets narrower and narrower. And then we get into some of the prophecies and 
they say things about this coming Messiah that's incredible they even tell us where he's going to be born in Bethlehem and they tell us his birth is going to be miraculous a virgin shall conceive and be with child and they tell us that this man when he grows up the Holy Spirit is going to be upon him in a way that never came in anybody else and this predictions often tell us for example in Isaiah 53 the great depth of his distress as his face is more marred than the face of any man you could almost say the faceless man and yet this same person crushed beyond what we can possibly imagine he's going to rule the nations how can this possibly happen and no doubt people were puzzled until he came but once he came all made sense or it should have done who was he it's important to know who he was not just for his identity but for our identity because when it comes down to it our identity is one of two we either belong to Adam and get what he got or we actually belong to Jesus and will get what he purchased so that's who he was the eternal son the member of the trinity who became the messiah and that's who he is today and that's who he'll be forever Well then secondly what did he do And in this verse here Verse 14 he does three things He approaches the father And he approaches the father With the help of a divine person And he approaches the father With a certain purpose And we can just think about these three things Briefly He approached the father In a certain sense He'd always done that If we go to John chapter 1 That's what we find isn't it The word was God And the word was with God And the word translated with there Means face to face So he's approaching him it's an eternal relationship never started never ended just keeps on going and it's a very happy get together we might say as the son approaches the father and both the father and the son 
Well, they were delighted with this eternal relationship. A better one could not possibly be imagined or experienced. It was the height of satisfaction, endlessly enjoyed. And when he came to earth, he continued, even as a man, to approach the Father. He delighted to pray would go off by himself except he was never by himself face to face with his heavenly father all the time and although he's now a man and he's having to learn things as far as his humanity is concerned they still focus on the same things that they had focused on before the worlds were made and what they had thought about in these eternal period was our redemption and we find that hard to understand but then there's lots of things in life we find hard to understand and the mere fact we find them hard to understand doesn't cause us to not avail ourselves of the help they make. I mean, every day I push switches. No idea how they work. Thankfully other people do. But anyway, as it's an illustration, we do lots of things on, about matters we don't fully understand. And the same is true about Jesus. There's much about him that we can't analyze. But although we can't analyze them, we can accept them. And when we find ourselves accepting them, they start to affect us. So here he is. In this special way, as mentioned there in verse 14, he's approaching the Father. And what's it like this time? What does he see in the Father's hand? This hand that has been helping him throughout his earthly journey what's in his father's hand as the son approaches him well the bible's illustration is that there's a cup an infinite cup a cup that only a divine hand can hold And the cup is held out to him. And it's just imagination. But we could say, and we could sort of hear the father saying to his son a few hours ago in the Garden of Gethsemane, you agreed to take it. Or we could even hear the father saying to him, 
an eternity ago you agreed to take it and he took it and when the cup of wrath was handed to him it didn't come from an angry God it had been given to us without Jesus it would have come from an angry God but it wasn't an angry God that gave the cup of wrath to his son but it was still a cup of wrath what's in the cup a divine penalty it's not our sins that's in the cup it's a divine judgment on them how is he going to bear this it's his humanity that's going to suffer and his humanity is not omnipotent it's impossible for him and his humanity by itself to bear this penalty so who helps him who helps him take this cup of wrath the verse tells us through the eternal spirit he offered himself to God the Holy Spirit who had helped him all the way who even after his baptism led him into the wilderness to confront the powers of darkness and the word led there means he was compelled imagine being compelled by divine power but there he is led by the spirit he does all his miracles by the power of the spirit I mean he says that all these miracles that he did whether you want to classify them as big or small he did them by the Holy Spirit who was with him who was on him in a very special way and all these miracles are marvelous and all these divine guidances that he had are incredible but they're all just leading to the climax when he's going to have to perform the greatest miracle of all and when he gets there not just to the external aspects of the cross because there were two others crucified with him but they weren't part of this experience 
that he went through alone but the spirit was there and what did the spirit give him well I suppose we can just make some suggestions as the floods of divine wrath flowed towards him the Holy Spirit gave him determination to embrace all of it and not to flinch an inch as this divine wrath came down in torrents the Holy Spirit strengthened his love why was he there it was a huge step for him to come down to live here on earth to show his love but it's a much bigger step for him to go down down to the depths that cannot be measured and go there for us and continue to love us and I suspect as far as his humanity is concerned to increase in his love for us where did Jesus love us the most Calvary as he had the father's cup in his hand what else did the spirit give him Well this writer himself tells us something Later on in the book He says He tells us why Jesus endured the cross It was for the joy that was set before him There In the darkness of the cross He's thinking about The happy times ahead times when he and his people will be together forever that's how he managed it because the spirit helped him because he had to pay the penalty as a man because it was man that fell How did he do it? Well, he offered himself. And in sacrificial language, offering yourself as an act of worship. We sang in Psalm 40, as Jesus comes into the world, also quoted in Hebrews. I have come to do your will, O Lord. It's in my heart. And here he is engaging in worship at Calvary. 
as he offers himself he offers up his holy humanity he offered himself a spotless sacrifice I mean Calvary to us is a beautiful place because of what Jesus did there but to anyone who lived in Jerusalem at the time Golgotha was an ugly place it was a city rubbish dump where things were discarded and the fact they were quite prepared to put their Messiah there speaks volumes but there the greatest act of worship that there's ever been took place when Jesus offered himself a sacrifice as our catechism tells us to satisfy divine justice and to bring us to God it's almost as if we were to look behind him as he approached the father and took his cup that behind him there's a whole train of people dependent on him being successful of course he was and that's why we're going to remember him today so as we do help may we thank the father may we thank the son and may we thank the Holy Spirit for what they did for us at the cross shall we pray <coughs> can we say you gave everything for us the sacrifice you made was an immense sacrifice offered in an area where only yourself and the Father and the Spirit were but we thank you that you paid the penalty for our sin and that you were able having done so to send the gospel around the world and here we are the benefits having come to us help us Lord to remember you with gratitude to praise you and to be glad that you're not dead that you're alive and alive forevermore so be with us Lord as we come to the table for your own name's sake Amen it's customary
to have what we call fencing of the table who should come to the table and who shouldn't and no doubt lots of things can be said about that I think it just comes down to something very basic what do we think of the cross that's what it comes down to we don't come to the table because we got an exceptional grasp intellectually of what happened at the cross because who of us can have an adequate theological grasp we don't come to the table because somehow or other our conviction of sin was far deeper than anybody else's what does the intensity of our conviction of sin have to do with the Lord's table the purpose of conviction of sin is to bring us to Christ So the question really is What do we think of the cross? Or the one who died on the cross? Is he alone our hope? Do we value the cross? The Jesus we value Is the Christ of the cross And if we love him, we come to his table. Don't have to love him perfectly. We won't do that till heaven comes. But we have to love him genuinely. If we love him, come. If we don't, don't come. It's as simple as that. We can sing from Psalm 118 and sing psalms and we can sing from verse 25 and if anyone who's currently not at the table wishes to come to it during this singing they can Save us O Lord we humbly pray O Lord we pray grant us success He's blessed who comes in God's great name you from the Lord's house we will bless
read the verses for um, the authority we have for having the Lord's Supper uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and a verse 23 For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said This is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And after his own example, we will give thanks. Lord, we do give you thanks for the simplicity of this meal bread and wine. And we do give you thanks for the spirituality of it that these symbols are not symbols of an absent saviour but they are symbols of one who is present by the Holy Spirit and we do ask you Lord that as we sit at your table a table at which you have never been absent we ask that you would make yourself real to us not in some kind of imaginary way but that you just fill our minds and fill our hearts with the attraction to yourself that only you can give so grant that Lord we pray for your own name's sake Amen. Just want to say something before we take the elements. In the verse that we read there from Hebrews and verse 14, the author says that the blood of Christ purges our conscience. Our conscience can keep us right and sometimes it can lead us wrong our conscience can highlight our sins but sometimes it doesn't highlight the remedy and sometimes when we sin we try the wrong remedy sometimes when I sin you know what I say to God I'll do better the next time it's never happened yet it's the wrong answer we need something else 
and there's something else is the blood of Christ it's the blood of a man who lived a perfect life and whose perfect life is reckoned to us as our justification and we sit at the table not as those who are perfect but as those who are justified and it's important for us sometimes to ask God to clean our conscience and to remind ourselves that if any man sin we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous and his blood continues to cleanse us from all sin and none of us are going to take or perform whatever word we want to use none of us are going to do this meal perfectly but all of it is covered by the blood and it's good for us to remember that
just want to say one thing as um, uh, we leave a table the verse we had there in Hebrews uh, chapter 9 says that we're purged from conscience from dead works whatever these dead works are and we've got a purpose and that's to serve the living God and sometimes we ask what's our future well that is our future to serve the living God we can sing from Psalm 40 in the Scottish Psalter we'll sing verses 1 to 4 I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear at length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear we'll stand to sing Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.